Praise God from whom all blessings flow. This is Brother William Kantz with this week's lesson, Eyewitnesses of His Majesty. From Matthew 17, the verses are 1 through 8, and 2 Peter 1, the verses are 16 through 21. Again, Matthew 17, 1 through 8, and 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. From the NIV, the text reads, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. And now Second Peter 1, 16 to 21. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the mad- majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. Verse 19. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, You must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Blessed are the readers, the hearers, particularly the doers of God's holy and divine word. Again, eyewitnesses of his majesty. In the second letter, Peter relates two personal remembrances of encounters between Jesus and himself. He refers to a prophecy of Jesus concerning his own death, 2 Peter 1, 14, and John 21, 18, and 19. In addition... The Apostle describes the testimony paid to Jesus by 
two principal characters from the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah. 2 Peter 1, 17 and 18. Christians have come to call the events surrounding the testimony on the Holy Mount as the transfiguration. Jesus was changed before the eyes of the three apostles. We do not have the privilege of seeing this miraculous occasion, nor did we have we seen Jesus walk on water. We will not eat food he miraculously produced. We cannot place our hands on his resurrected body. However, we can believe. We can have certainty regarding his life, death, and resurrection because we trust. And we learn to trust by first being trustworthy. We have the opportunity to trust the credible testimony of Scripture. Jesus had us in mind when he said, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed, John 20 and verse 29. In our text, Peter affirmed that he was one of the eyewitnesses of his majesty. When God spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, 2 Peter 1, 16 and 17. Therefore, he called upon his readers to heed or to listen to his testimony, verse 19. The transfiguration of Jesus is recorded in Matthew 17. On that occasion, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, verses 1 and 2. Describing Jesus' transfiguration, Matthew wrote, His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light, Matthew 17 and verse 3. The radiant glory of the sun's glory was a symbol of the glorious culminating appearance the prophets had predicted. Peter's concern here goes beyond his defense of uh, apostle authority. As he considers the believer's need of constant guidance and reinforcement from, for the truth of the scriptures. The way through this world is dangerous and dark. Only the word of God can lead us safely through. We live in this present evil age, Galatians 1 and 4. There is danger of being confused by the ways of the world, Ephesians 2 and 2, or becoming conformed to the pattern of the world, Romans 12 and 2. The only safe course is following Jesus as the scriptures reveal him and as he has invited us to do, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 8 and verse 12. God spoke. 
Hear him, Matthew 17 and 5. This command contains the chief significance of the scene in our text. The voice from heaven meant that Jesus must be heard in preference to the law and the prophets. Jesus was exalted to a preeminent status. This declaration was accompanied by a change in Jesus' appearance. He was transfigured before them. He shone like the sun. This was a visual affirmation, harmonious with the glory of his position, his divine majesty. In response to the voice of God, Peter, James, and John fell on their faces and were greatly afraid, Matthew 17 and verse 6. Similar reactions can be found elsewhere in Scripture as a result of visions. A vision is that what is, as opposed to a dream or what could be. So, he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. Daniel 8 and 17. Also notice Revelation 1 and 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. In our focus text today, Jesus did not allow them to remain in fear. Arise and do not be afraid, he said, Matthew 17, verse 7 and 8. They saw Jesus' transfiguration. They heard Jesus' exaltation. They felt Jesus' touch. This was a time that was a pivotal moment in their lives. They became eyewitnesses of the incarnation of God's word, God's hope for mankind. False teachers labeled the truths that Christians believe as make-believe, fiction, or simply stories without validation. These false teachers claim the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the resurrection, and the comprehensive power and majesty of his kingdom were and are fantasy. Peter responded that he was speaking and writing about witnessing spiritual truths. Given the exaltation of Jesus at the transfiguration, Peter concluded both that prophecy had been confirmed and that his audience desperately needed to follow Jesus. Peter declared, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. 2 Peter 1 and verse 19. Old Testament prophecy pointing to the Messiah and Son of God finds its fulfillment in Jesus. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, 
and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possessions. Psalm 2, verse 7 and 8. The transfiguration scene confirmed the testimony of the prophets concerning the deity of Jesus and established more clearly the relationship between God and his son. Consequently, individuals should seek Jesus the same way one seeks light when walking in darkness. Thankfully, God's plan has been revealed to us. Through it, we have the ability to know not only what Jesus did for us, but also what he expects of us. God's plan is not of any private interpretation, 2 Peter 1 and verse 20. Truth can be obtained through both personal experience and credible testimony. In our lesson text, Peter urges his audience to heed his admonition to follow Jesus. He had witnessed Jesus at his transfiguration. He provided an eyewitness account and his inspired words direct us today. Peter and John amplified the necessity of an attentive focus on the truth of a righteously responsible Jesus-centered life when they testified before the Sanhedrin. When the court commanded them to refrain from speaking in Jesus' name, they responded, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot speak the things which we have seen and heard. Acts 4, 19 and 20. Our lesson text provides us with a beautiful affirmation of Scripture's inspiration. The prophets did not devise their own prophecies. Instead, they spoke the message given to them by the Holy Spirit. The same thing is true of those who wrote God's message. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. When Luke begins his account, his, his narrative is addressed to, he addressed it to most excellent Theophilus, whose name declares him a friend of God. Luke writes, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Luke 1, verses 1 through 4. Although Luke was not an eyewitness of Jesus' ministry, he produced an orderly account capable of providing Theophilus with certainty. Theophilus was able to learn about the truth of Jesus from the inspired testimony of Luke. 
we can have complete confidence that God truly speaks to us in his word because both the divine revelation given to its authors and their interpretation of it was directed by the Holy Spirit. When they spoke, the prophecies recorded in Scripture, they were spokesmen for God himself. The divine speaking in inspiration of Scripture took three forms. First, a silent inward hearing, such as may have been the order in, for example, Acts 8 and 29. Then the Spirit said to Philip, or Acts 10 and verse 19, while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him. Second, perhaps an audible voice as the child Samuel heard in 1 Samuel 3 and 4. The Lord called Samuel. Third, the form of speaking may have been a concursive inspiration. This is where the divine speaking or writing of the prophet or apostle is moved along in such a manner that it is also the word of God. In his words, prophecy never came by the will of man. Verse 21, Peter confirms his own belief in the authority of Scripture as it rests in the mind and will of God. In his first letter, he expresses his belief in the inspiration of the prophets in their prediction of Christ's ministry, saying that the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing to the time and circumstances of Christ's suffering and glories to come, 1 Peter 1 and verse 11. Thus, in verse 21 in our lesson today, Peter reiterates what he had said in verse 20. The authors did not by themselves think up what they, had, what they then proclaimed as the word of God. They were divinely inspired. The Holy Spirit spoke to and through them to deliver the truth of God to his people. Thus God did not produce a Bible with one style from Genesis to Revelation. Rather, he prepared the authors in individuality and talents. He permitted David's love for nature to shine through in the Psalms. Paul's acquaintances with pagan literature to be evident in his epistles. Luke's medical knowledge to characterize his writings. Mark's abruptness to be in his gospel. Paul's more logical manner to be in contrast to John's almost mystical eloquence and all the time each wrote what God willed. So Peter gives us a foundational passage in our understanding of the doctrine of divine inspiration of Scripture. It takes place along with Paul's great affirmation, all Scripture is God-breathed, 2 Timothy 3 and 16. We are assured that God has given us an authoritative record of his revelation of himself. 
This lesson is yours. I pray that something has been said that is both uplifting and edifying. Next week's lesson is 2 Peter, from 2 Peter 2, verses 1 through 11, and the title is God's Judgment. Again, 2 Peter 2, verses 1 through 11. God's judgment. Let us pray together, family. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, our God, who sits high and looks low, God of love, God of mercy, God of holiness, grace, and forgiveness. Thank you for being present, God. Thank you for sending your Son and our Savior to this low ground of sorrow to teach, model, and ultimately sacrifice himself on that old rugged cross for the sins of mankind. We pray for those who do not know you yet. We pray for space and time that they may come to know you before it is everlasting and eternally too late. Father, thank you for your word this inspired word that we have to take out to the world to bring souls to you. Father God, please forgive us of any trespasses we have committed since the last time we prayed together. We pray for all those, Father God, who are suffering this day, both near and far, we pray for all the caregivers and the essential workers who continue to seek to keep us all safe from the difficult passages of life. Help us, Father, to grow in grace and knowledge of you. Thank you for all the many blessings you bestow upon us each day, Father. Father, we, we pray for leadership, Embolden them to continue to lead us in the way that you would have us to go. We pray for those returning to school, the teachers, the students. Help them, Father, to focus on those things, to, to learn and to grow. We pray that everything we have said and done this day goes down to your glory, Father. We pray for all within the sound of my voice and their extended families. Give them all those things they need to continue to be called your children and serve in your vineyard. Thank you for your promises of glory for the faithful. Thank you for Jesus. It is in Jesus' name, Jesus' holy name, we offer up this prayer. Amen. Again, family, thanks for joining our study today. Thank you for the support. Let us all reach out in love this week. Stay safe and joyful. Bye for now.